Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Mortification of Spin team trainer, Max Benfer, is back and joins the hosts this time talking about the doctrine of the invisible and visible church. We'll hear how important it is to be an active, visible member of a church body. Keep listening after the conversation to find out how to download a free MP3 from the Alliance. This is Pastor Max Benfer speaking from the underground bunker. And uh, right now, I've got Carl, Todd, and Amy locked out. I've taken over. Mortification of spin. And, uh, oh, looks like they are actually breaking their way in the door. Uh, They've invited me today to be a guest host. And today we will be talking about the visible and the invisible church. Now, guys, I actually wanted to take today, uh, because normally you say you have casual conversation about things that count, I thought maybe for the first time we could actually have serious conversation about things that don't count. Ooh, I like that. Mm. And specifically, specifically, I wanted to really nail down, finally, Carl, because you've mentioned rock music so often, uh, just once and for all, who the greatest rock band is of all time. Oh, it's a tough one, and, and my answer might vary depending on the day of the week you ask me, but I think today, I'm going to say the kinks. Actually, I'm coming the out kinks. of left field on this one. Wow. I'm going to say kinks. today, I give the kinks a slight edge over the who. And the kinks, of course, were so distinctively English that they never really made it that big, I don't think, in the States. To me, they have a very That English was the first sound. CD I bought, like when tapes, cassette tapes turned as CDs. Uh-huh. Yeah. The Kinks was the first one I bought. It was the first 33 and a third that Todd bought when 78s became 33 <laughs> and a third. So. The Kinks. Well, that's, huh, that's interesting. That's I, not I would, the I answer have, I would have thought. I would have pegged you for a Bon Jovi man. Uh, oh. Or Striper. Yeah. Dead or Alive isn't bad. Absolutely. I the like jangly bits at the beginning reminds me of the jangle we always seem to get when Amy's speaking on the microphone. <laughs> yeah. Her earrings or something. Well, those bangles. Carl, I would have yeah. thought for sure you would have said Led Zeppelin. Uh, Zeppelin, yeah, yeah, maybe tomorrow. I was going to say, they're, they're right up there. To me, it would be you've got Led Zeppelin, the Kinks, and the Who. Uh, and I you are they all the British who? bands? I think they are. Uh, yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes Rush might pop in. Yeah. I mean, there's some Rush tracks that are particularly Brilliant. excellent. Yep. Particularly yeah, that's excellent. that. That would be yeah. my choice. Yeah. So, so, Carl, what are we talking about? Well, today we thought we would talk about the distinction between the visible and the invisible church. Mm-hmm. Not something you hear much of in in evangelicalism, and yet it's it's there. In, in chapter 25, in fact, of the Westminster Confession of Faith, the chapter starts this way. Paragraph one says the Catholic or Universal Church, which is invisible, mm-hmm. consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Paragraph 2 then says, The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, that is not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children 
and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. So when the Westminster Divines put together their chapter on the, the church, they kick it off with this distinction between the invisible and the visible church. And I thought it would be useful to explore today, along with our friend and uh, personal trainer, uh, the Reverend Max Benfer, uh, the practical implications of this distinction. Is this just a theoretical distinction, or does it actually have practical significance for ministry and life in the church today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was very helped by the distinction when I was first uh, introduced to it as I as I came to the Reformed faith, because one of the things it did, it made very clear uh, the reality of apostasy. Um, as, as a Southern Baptist, I really had no category for apostasy, and apostasy is clearly taught and warned about in Scripture. And yet you don't really know what to do with that without this very important distinction of visible and invisible church. So what would happen when somebody fell away? And exactly. Says, they just come back and get rebaptized. Is that well, the, is that the sort of well, way it goes? Well, or? the way the way it would work is that uh, the person would either you know you know you rededicate your life to Christ or or you pray the prayer again. And all my form all my Baptist brothers know what I mean by that. You pray the prayer again, but this time you really mean it. Okay. So, so this time you're actually saved, and then you do need to get baptized. So you again. assume you were actually never in the church in the right. first place. Right. Okay. Right. Very interesting. And and yet when you look at, for instance, the warning passages in Hebrews, they're clearly talking about people who are, uh, to use uh, confessional language, members of the covenant community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what was always so troubling for me prior to coming to the Reformed faith, is that it really looked like in those warning passages in Hebrews, <laughs> like they were talking about people who, the only categories I had were, had lost their salvation. Because I didn't have a category for apostasy, someone who could be a member of the visible covenant community of God's people and yet not be, uh, as Paul might say, you know, true Israel or, or whatever. But uh, it's, it was the Reformed faith, particularly this, this distinction of visible and invisible church, that finally gave the categories that help us understand what's being described in Hebrews. Does that make sense? Yeah, it also helped me um understand infant baptism a little bit better yep. and the importance of it. Yep. I love how um, Bannerman in his book, um, he says the visible church is where b- believers are embosomed, protected, and perfected. Mm-hmm. Now, we would want our children to be included right. in that, wouldn't we? Yes. I think as a pastor as well, that distinction is crucial because if you look at the, the way the, the, vis- the invisible church is described, it begins by speaking of the elect. Mm-hmm. And as a pastor, it relieves a lot of the burden from me to save people or to keep them saved. I mean, I understand when I when someone becomes a member of my church that they are being brought into the visible church. Whether or not they are elect is God's choice. Yeah. And so if someone falls away, it's not ultimately going to be because I failed them. Mm-hmm. I need to be faithful. But but it's God who does the electing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's some pastors who, um, not in the Presbyterian church, but um, around where I live, you may not partake in communion unless you are a member of their particular church, um, and you have to be baptized in their particular church. There's no even outward thinking about the Catholic visible church. Right. Mm-hmm 
at all. And I just think of the pressure that it puts on this pastor even to then think that he actually knows the souls of his people well enough mm-hmm. to say, these are the truly saved. These are right. the truly elect I know mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And it points us back to a topic we've touched on before on the podcast, and that's the, the power of the church is ministerial. Mm-hmm. And one could also recast that perhaps by saying there's a sense in which the power of the visible church is also provisional. Mm-hmm. That when somebody comes for church membership, we are examining their doctrine and their, their life to see if, as far as we can make out, their profession of faith is consistent with the way they live their lives and is therefore credible. They could be part. So of those the, are the qualifications yeah, that they need. Part of the visible church, but we're not making any ultimate absolute judgment of saying to somebody, we absolutely guarantee that you're a Christian at this point. We're saying that we have every reason to believe you're a Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't have the power to to decide who's in and who's out. That ultimately belongs to God and is a matter between the the individual's conscience and their God. Yeah, we don't believe that baptism is a one-to-one correlation with election, no. that every right. person being baptized is necessarily elect. Right. It's, it's, it's based on a profession of faith. And that, that's actually one of the things that I disagree with uh, when, when talking to credo-baptists. Uh, you know, what, one of the things I point out is that you're, you're not a believer's Baptist, you're a professor Baptist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people that you're going to baptize as well who profess faith who are not Christians, and so you're really administering the sacrament to unbelievers as well. Right, right. And that's why, you know, again, I, though, though I've come to, to disagree with him on the issue of baptism, at least with, for instance, Mark Dever at Capitol Hill, they won't baptize you until you're about 50 years old, you know, <laughs> until they have, you know, decades of, of, of having a really good idea that, that you walk with the Lord. And, and the reason I say at least there's a consistency there exactly. that says – we want to be very careful not to give uh, the, 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 the sign of baptism. Now, where, where we see correspondence between what we're advocating here, for instance, with uh, the, the, the infants of believers being baptized, is there's, is there's correspondence here with the older covenant where you had the infants, in that case the, the infant sons of God's people, being circumcised, receiving the sign of the covenant. However, it was recognized at that point that they could ultimately, as Paul points out in the New Testament, prove not to have been uh, spiritual Israel through apostasy. And the principle holds true for what we see in the New Testament as well. I just, for me, it was very hard to navigate some of those texts in the New Testament as a Baptist, not having that category for invisible and visible church. It also helps. One of the the biggest... um critiques of Calvinism that people like to try to say is, okay, well, if God is this sovereign and predestination is real, then that that hurts your um, ambition to then witness Mm -hmm. to others. But to know that there's an invisible church, um, that that encourages us then to spread the gospel and to call them in. God is calling to himself, his elect, from every nation, tribe, language, and people. Mm -hmm. And that's why you know, William Carey could go to India with such confidence because he knew, based upon God's promises in Scripture, that he had a people for himself in India. He just had to go and waft about the gospel, so to speak, because the invisible church extended even there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God's sovereignty and election, when I really came to understand that, it emboldened my witness. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's sort of the same thing that people will say about prayer as well, that if God is sovereign, why pray? But it, my answer to that is if God isn't sovereign, why, why pray? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And what a privilege it is that he will even use us as means to, to call people in. Yeah. And there's a definite connection, of course, and the, and the confession brings it out, this out nicely between the visible church and the, the invisible church. I mean, mm-hmm. In paragraph two, we've already quoted this, that uh, you know, the, uh, outside of the visible church, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Yeah. And I think what, mm-hmm. the, what the confession is pointing to there is that the invisible church does not render the visible church a negotiable thing or an unimportant thing. There are an awful lot of people who are out there who profess to be Christians but are not formally attached to any particular congregation. And for me, I, uh, that's incomprehensible to right. me. Mm-hmm. Now, I can understand if, you, if you're the only person in Albania who professes Christianity, it's going to be a bit hard to attach yourself to a mm-hmm. local church. Most Christians in the world are not in that situation. Right. And I think what the confession points to here is is the clear teaching that we see in, in Paul and in the Acts of the Apostles that there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Mm-hmm. The way of professing Christian faith is actually to be an active formal member of a local church that the person who says well I'm a Christian but I don't go to church I'm inclined to say to them well I'm very sorry but you know, maybe you're part of the invisible church but I can have no assurance that that's the case at all because Christianity isn't simply one man or one woman and their God Christianity is naturally corporate it's about the right. people of God and it involves attachment to a local visible church. It's not that the invisible church simply floats above the visible church without any connection at all. There is a connection, right? a connection between the two. Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask if, Todd, if you and Carl uh, state something to that effect when you fence the table, because I know when I fence the table for communion, I say not just if you're a Christian— but I say, if you are a member in good standing yep. at a Bible-believing yep. church, then you may take communion. And I've had people ask me why I, I state it that way. And it's a similar thing that you just said, Carl, that a lot of people claim to be Christians. Yeah. I want to know and have good reason to believe that they are a Christian, right. that, they're, that, that their actions match that claim. And yeah. if, I, if I go uh, to another country, they're going to ask for my passport. The passport doesn't make me an American, but the passport means that someone has confirmed my claim to be an American. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, we make that very clear uh, when we fence the table that uh, this is for um, all Christians, whether you're a member of our church or not, but you must be a member of a church, of a, and we specify a, a church that believes the Bible, a church that believes the gospel. If you're a member there, um, you know, meaning you, you, there, there's, a, there's a biblical, well-ordered church that has vouched for your for the credibility exactly. of profession yeah. of faith, then you're our brother and sister, and you're welcome. Because this, this table is not our table. This is the Lord's table, mm-hmm. and so you're invited to come. We're required by the Director of Public Worship to make a statement mm-hmm. if, you know, to that effect yeah. before communion. The way I would nuance it pastorally is this. We have people come to our church who belong to good churches from elsewhere, but the church may not have a formal membership. There are a few churches like that. And in those circumstances, particularly when we've had students come to the church and those with tender consciences will come up to me afterwards and say, you know, we don't actually have membership vows at my church. Can I take communion? I would take those on a case-by-case basis. And one particular instance comes to mind where 
uh, I knew the pastor of the church where this this person had come from, and I knew that it was a good church, and I knew that this person was very committed to that church, even though the church didn't have the formal category of membership. And as this person had applied to come into membership in our church, we took what I took to be the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. But that is an exceptional circumstance. I think typically if you're not a member of a church, then you shouldn't be at the Lord's table because you're not a professing Christian. Right. Whatever you think, you know, professing Christian isn't simply saying, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Being a professing Christian is being part of the visible body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't you find, though, that that seems so foreign to people today? It, I found that a lot of people take offense at that because they think what we're saying is that unless I say you're a Christian, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. How do you guys distinguish that for people? Well, I want to sit down and talk to them about it yeah. and try and explain why that wasn't the case. And certainly my church, when we bring people into membership, I, either myself or, or my uh, co-pastor, usually do a sort of little spiel beforehand about how the Bible doesn't contain the word membership. But if you look at the book of Acts, you see people living together, accountable to elders, da dum da dum da dum So we try to, to communicate that when we're bringing people into membership so that those who are there understand what membership is. The Lord's Supper, I can't give that spiel every Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. but anybody who is disturbed by yeah. what we certainly talk to. And we don't, you know, my elders are not scanning the, the, the chairs to see if some visitor we don't know is, <laughs> is taking communion. They don't jump across and say, okay, show me a membership right. certificate. We leave it to people's consciences. We're not going to challenge them directly, but yeah, I am going to challenge do. them indirectly right. through the fencing of the table. You know, one of the things that I've, really appreciated um, being a Presbyterian pastor is on those occasions where we publicly uh, welcome new members into the church and and they take their membership vows uh, publicly. It's very moving um, for me. Uh, I I grew up not seeing people take membership vows, and and that's been a very moving point. It it was very moving when I saw my wife take her membership vows in the church, and then uh, my two teenage sons are getting ready. They'll they'll be uh, finishing up the membership class pretty soon. Now, they were baptized as believers. I baptized them. But what's been really encouraging to me is that they've gone through this membership class. They're going to be completing it. Then they're going to be interviewed by elders in our church, members of the session who I work with and minister with, who I trust, who are going to ask them really good questions about their walk with Christ and, and their understanding of the gospel. And if that all goes well, then they will join uh, this church, and I'll get to administer uh, the vows of membership to my sons. And I'm really looking forward to that. But part of it is there's this tremendous comfort knowing that they're going through this process where they're going to be interviewed by tender, compassionate, but but clear and serious men mm. who really want to be able to say, we can vouch for the credibility. And again, not with infallible knowledge, but, but as far as the Lord has equipped us with the discernment, we believe these two young men are, are our brothers in Christ. That's a wonderful... Mm. And it's not uh, just you're in now, exactly. but you know we are going to serve you and serve alongside yep. of you yep. and help and, you along the way, exactly. And it's ministering not, to you, right? And it's not Word left to some subjective. Well, my kid prayed a prayer at VBS, and so therefore mm-hmm. now we immediately baptize them. Right. But rather, it's a process of learning, of meeting with serious-minded, godly men who are going to interview you and ask you questions. That that helps me as their father to have greater assurance on their behalf. And I love that about Mm -hmm. our structure. 
Mm-hmm. One other uh, thing that James Bannerman – is this book called The Church of Christ? It is. So that's yeah. what it's called, yeah. Um, he distinguishes between the Roman Catholic view of the visible and invisible and the Protestant view. Which and, is very – go with that. Cause, and I just wanted to say that's really important. It's very We're not important. not advocating the same right. thing, but go for it. So he, he says that the Roman Catholics make um, the invisible church subordinate to the visible church. But the visible church – the Protestant church, I'm sorry – has the visible church giving birth mm-hmm. to the invisible church. So then you see the importance there of church membership and, and coming in, but they're revealing right. kind of what's there mm-hmm. and giving birth mm-hmm. to that then and, and then pronouncing that. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was a really good distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And practically, to go back to a point that was made a few minutes ago, it really lowers the, it lowers the bar in a good way for the pastor and the elders in that uh, – Pastoring the visible church is a pretty straightforward, practical thing. We're not sort right. of, it's not a mystical thing. We're not attempting to penetrate the mind of right. God. Again, to go back to the confession, uh, chapter 25, paragraph 3, unto this Catholic visible church, Christ hath given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God mm-hmm. for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world, and doth by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, make them effectual thereunto. Mm-hmm. Tasks as pastors and elders is to... Make sure that the oracles and ordinances of God are applied in the church. Scriptures read, scriptures proclaimed, the sacraments are administered, and we have God's promises that he will use those right. to, to grow his church and to give birth to mm-hmm. the invisible church. And if people are, are, are skeptical, again, about these categories, I would, I would point them to the words of Jesus where he speaks about the, the wheat and the tares. Mm-hmm. I would say he's speaking directly to this issue that you have. Mm-hmm. You, we do church. have growing up among the wheat. Mm-hmm. Those things, you know, they look like wheat for a while, for a season, mm-hmm. but ultimately they aren't. And Jesus even warns, which gives great uh, direction and wisdom for pastors. Don't start rooting all of it out because inevitably you're going to hurt some of the mm-hmm. wheat as well. Mm-hmm. Let the Lord handle those issues at the end of the age. Um, but I, I, I would say with those to, to those skeptics, look to those words of Jesus. I think he's speaking directly to these categories. And again, it helps us understand why the Bible has a category for apostasy, why it is that we see some people who prayed the prayer, were baptized, and rededicated themselves uh, depart from the faith. We should probably say, too, that we're not, just to be clear, that we're not talking about two different churches, the invisible church and the visible church, that um, it's two different aspects of the same church. We understand that what we are convinced is a biblical category, that you can be a, a person who professes faith, who's received baptism, who's been in church, and then you bolt and never come back and you reject God, what do we do with them? Well, I think it's very clear from what we're taught not only in Hebrews, but several times by Paul and by Jesus himself, that they were among those who for a while tasted of the gift, uh, bore the sign. They got the outward signs. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But ultimately were not of you. Doesn't this concept of visible and invisible church also speak indirectly against the idea of internet churches those <laughs> sorts of things because how you know, to be a member of the visible church yeah. you have to be visible yeah. I mean, if you're yeah. sitting at home alone watching kind of the internet basic. all week yeah. Yeah. at our at our quote online campus yeah. which correct absolutely drives me bananas yeah well there are all kinds of questions involved in that i mean one of them is uh you know, why aren't you at church on a Sunday? Now, if you're what we call in, in, call in Scotland a bide-in, if you're stuck at home, if you're an old person yeah, who's different. infirm and can't get out, then 
it's great that you can download stuff online. Sure. I think the elders should also be going and having little services in your Absolutely. house on occasion. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, the the other the other point is bodies are important. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. You know, we were created as embodied human beings, and the people you sit next to on church on a Sunday are important. Even the trendiest, coolest churches acknowledge that bodies are important because the the rock band is never piped in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, okay, the pastor he you know, he can be piped in, but the rock band has to be live. Absolutely. Uh, I think human the beings, new priests of our age, human beings are embodied. Yeah. Church is more than just the transmission of information mm-hmm. from the notes of the pastor via the mm-hmm. pastor's vocal cords into the brains of his congregants. Mm-hmm. And when we look uh, forward to the glorified church, yeah. it will be embodied mm-hmm. with yeah. bodies. We won't be on separate clouds down streaming, uh, whatever it is, live streaming glory. Right. Right. We'll actually be there in a countless company with Before our the resurrection face of the bodies. Lord. Before the face of the Lord. Yeah. The Lord won't be being beamed in. He will actually right. be present in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, I think it's... Uh, it's very, very. It is. It's. It's yet another uh, nail, I think, in the coffin of any idea that this mm-hmm. sort of multi-site piping stuff in, or getting it at home stuff, is is remotely uh, acceptable right. uh, on biblical grounds. Uh, it's a deep cheapening of the concept of the church. It is. We should note, of course, that, and again, the confession is, is so good on this. It does make the point that uh, you know, the, the, the church is sometimes more and sometimes less visible. The, the concept of visible church doesn't mean that everywhere you go, the church is going to be visible. Uh, nor does the church mean that, that every instantiation of the church is always going to be visible. The Lord's promise is to the church in general, not to any specific right. congregation. So there are other refinements that one would want to uh, introduce uh, into this discussion as well. Yeah, yeah I've, I've reminded our congregation before that uh, Jesus' promise that he's going to build his church doesn't necessarily mean he's going to make this particular congregation bigger. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's going to build his church. What exactly happens with our congregation, well, that's up to him. But, yeah, yeah, um, have to be careful with some of those. Yeah. And I, one other thing I, I wanted to state is as far as, you know, since we are, I'm the one who primarily preaches every week, is that concept of visible and invisible church, it helps me when I'm preparing my sermon not to try to craft my sermon for the nominal Christian mm-hmm. because uh, I know that there are going to be some sitting out there that are not going to like what I have to say sure. because they don't have the Holy Spirit and they're not elect. Right. They're they're sitting in the pews, uh, but I'm there to feed. You know, I'm preaching for two primary, you know, um, audiences. You know, one is is a Christian who who is elect and has the Holy Spirit and wants to grow, or two, the non Christian who is elect who the Holy Spirit is drawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if somebody's there for for reasons other than that and they don't want to be a part of the church anymore, uh, I'm okay with that because their souls were never mine in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just gives me confidence as a preacher to feed the sheep. Yeah, yeah. God's going to be faithful to his word um, every time it's proclaimed. Uh, he's going to feed his people well from his word, and uh, uh, it, it will accomplish its purpose for which he sends it out. Mm. So, Well, it's been great having you on as a... Uh, uh, co-host Thank today, you. Max. Thanks very much it's more for, of a hostage for takeover joining situation, us. Yeah. I think. Glad we were able to get out of that hole you'd locked us in <laughs> and have a 
Well, well you guys haven't been working out enough. I was going <laughs> to teach you a lesson. Hey, Todd and I, we're pretty buff. Absolutely. So, uh, anyway, we'd like to thank you for being on the program today, Max. Thank Thanks you. for uh, helping for us discuss this very important distinction between visible and invisible church. We would recommend uh, those of you interested in exploring this topic further. Uh, mentioned this book numerous times on this program, but James Bannerman's The Church of Christ is an excellent uh, volume on ecclesiology in general and, and is good on visible and invisible church. Uh, Guy Prentice Waters' book, How Jesus Runs the Church, is another one to, to go to. Uh, and um, also I would say McPherson's old book on Presbyterianism, set up as a series of uh, classes for Sunday school in Scotland in, I think, the 19th century, is uh, worth checking out as a, as a good statement of uh, Presbyterian ecclesiology and, and touches on the, the sort of distinctions we've been talking about this morning. Uh, hope that uh, the podcast has proved helpful to you. I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, please check out our website, mortificationspin.org, and we look forward to being with you next week. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen that exists to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. If you want to go more in-depth on today's topic, head over to mortificationofspin.org and download Craig Troxell's talk entitled, Reformation of the Church, Future of the Bright New Church. And be sure to join us next week when the gang finishes their discussion on the Lord's Supper. We want to build on the last bully pulpit we did a couple of weeks ago. Today we want to address more practical issues. We don't want to give the impression that if you have any sin in your life at all, you can't receive the Lord's Supper. We come as saved sinners. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Mm. So there's this responsibility Absolutely. to examine ourselves before the table. Don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to read blog posts from Carl, Amy, and Todd and to find your free download. Which, by the way, the three men sitting here are going to be attending uh, the Rush concert at the end of May we are, in Philadelphia. We are. We're hoping that Amy, I'm sorry, Washington, Amy's going to drive up, drive us down, wait outside, <laughs> That's uh, right. and then drive us back. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, so. but um, I did hear a rumor that you guys were like practicing your crowd surfing skills. Absolutely. Crowd surfing, air guitaring. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a horrific sight. It's going to be a great thing. Growing my hair out, so I'll look just the, uh, <laughs> just the part. Yeah. So.